welcome to another episode of the Bonfires of Social Enterprise. This is Rami, and I'm excited to catch back up with Cressy Wesleyan on this episode. We spoke with Cressy about 18 months ago. She and her husband, Elvis, have a social enterprise in London called Elvis and Cressy. They upcycle discarded fire hoses and make them into gorgeous bags and belts and other accessories. And in just a little bit, we'll hear about some of their new product additions along with some amazing insight on how they keep up their energy for high-level system change when faced with barriers and challenges. She even discusses how she handles situations when others minimize her or their business. These guys are true professional social entrepreneurs, and I learned a lot. Now, before we move to that interview, we have a new guest young man for our fun fuel. From Traverse City, Michigan, please meet Reese Robertson. Reese, what do you have for us? This is Reese Robertson from Traverse City, Michigan, and I am bringing you the fun fuel for this episode. Until the mid-19th century, most fires were put out by water buckets transported to the scene. Fire hoses were created soon after that, but they were very basic. In 1673 in Amsterdam, Jan van der Heiden and his son Nicholas took firefighting to the next step with the first fire hose made of leather. This improvement made its way to the United States by 1794 in Philadelphia. Members of the Philadelphia Humane Hose Company developed the leather hoses to be fastened together by copper rivets and washers instead of sewing them. This cut down on hoses bursting from pressure at their seams. Modern fire hoses use a variety of natural and synthetic fibers and elastomers. They allow fire hoses to be stored wet without rotting and resist effects of exposure to sunlight and chemicals. Modern technology has made the hoses lighter to help reduce the physical strain for firefighters. Fire hoses even have different names for different uses like attack, supply, forestry, booster, and suction. These are all names of fire hoses designed for specific uses. I hope you enjoyed this fun fuel. My name is Reese Robertson. Enjoy the show! Thank you very much, Reese Robertson. Fire hoses have come a long way. Well, let's keep learning more about what can be done with fire hoses in my interview with Cressy. So it's been almost a year and a half since you and I talked and had a, our first interview learning about uh, your business. So I really want to take this opportunity to catch up. And uh, you were one of our most popular guests as I mentioned from season one, so we want to hear what's happening with your business and uh, everything from what you're having fun with, what your most popular products are, what you guys are doing from a business perspective, just generally what's happening. So let's okay. let's, uh, let's start wherever you want. Um, well, I suppose you always have to start with a, you know, quite a victorious statement like we're still open, <laughs> the business is still running, nothing terrible has happened, and I, and I genuinely, I think you 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 can lose sight of these things. Everybody always wants to hear what's the most exciting thing um, that's going on, but often the most exciting thing is that is that the mission we started with. Uh, rescuing the fire hose is still the is still the mission that we're on, and we're we're just doing that 
better and better all the time, but but very much still engaged with our core principles and and uh, really excited about that. Yeah, uh, that's such a good word. I say that all the time. The number one rule of social enterprise is to stay open. That's the yeah. number one rule of sustainability. Yeah. Um, make it more complicated than that. So let's let's place hold on that for a second. What do you what do you feel's been some of the uh reasons why you've been able to stay open? Well, I think that the certainly we know that there's a gathering momentum behind purpose-driven businesses. We know that the consumers are becoming increasingly aware of of where their where their money is being spent and what their money is being spent on and what the potential added value of that cash is and that spend is. So we're we're constantly gaining new audiences that we didn't really know were there and and it's really because more and more people are thinking, okay, I I need a backpack, but I'm not just going to go and buy whatever backpack is is the you know the first one I see. I'm going to do a bit of research online. I'm going to look around. In the same way that people used to do this for really expensive purchases, like like a car, you would you would go and drive around lots of car lots, and you would talk to lots of people, and you might go online, well, which is best fuel efficiency, and and which has the best guarantees and ratings. We think that people are taking that level of research down to um, more everyday products. We've had customers that you know, have said that they've, you know, compared reviews for five or six wash bags before buying a wash bag from us. So that is something that is a trend I think is only going to continue. Yeah, I do too. I, uh, I'm i noticing people say here in the U.S. they're voting with their dollars, where yes. they're going to spend, what their activities are, what restaurants they support. And uh, that's mostly good i i find mostly good sometimes yes. not but mostly it's a good sign that people aren't just blanketly accepting um i guess marketing or blanketly accepting they're finding out for themselves which makes mm. it have to be good good quality in addition to our social mission right absolutely yeah absolutely so l- last time we talked you had a belt and a bag and I think you were uh, experimenting with a couple different types of bags. Is that still your product line today that you're making from the reclaimed fire hoses? Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, you know our, our fire hose collection is you know still constantly improving. But probably the most uh, interesting addition to our collection in the last year has been really the kind of upsurge in our leather reclamation project. Um, you know, there's. The the fire hose problem was, is a niche problem. There's about 10 tons a year in the UK, something like that. And it's one we very much at our size now can solve. But when we started to be approached by a couple of the luxury companies with their leather scrap, so, so this is the offcut when you cut out the pattern for a, a car seat for a Bentley or an Aston Martin, or you cut out the, the bag pattern for, for a, a luxury handbag. These are the scraps that are left behind. Um, when we started to research that problem, we learned that it's an 800,000 ton a year problem annually. Wow. So wow. this is just absolutely beautiful leather that's just been that's just been tanned, just been dyed, and 
it's on the cutting room floor and it and it goes to landfill or incineration and we we have for several years been trying to work out what to do with that about two years ago so maybe just before i talked to you we had come up with a system to turn that into three shapes that you can interweave to make a variety of things and over the last year and a half we've just seen a lot of of uptake of of our leather system so the first product we made was rugs and we just yeah we've started to sell lots and lots of of these leather rugs which are great because people can order them in any size they want in any color combination they want and it's because it's component based it also means if one little piece somewhere gets damaged uh, you can just replace that one piece instead of replacing the whole item so it's a it's an incredibly powerful system and it's getting an increasing fan base and and we're start about to launch a, a whole collection of bags also made in this way. Oh, that's fantastic. And Cressy, where was the leather going, the scraps going before this? Where where would they go? Would they go into the trash? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And and I think that's what we're the best at. We're you know, where Elvis and I are at our best is where we find something that just shouldn't be happening but there's no other solution for it. So, you know, most of it goes to the trash. Some of it gets shredded to a pulp, and they add a lot of glue to it to make basically a, a leather equivalent of a MDF. And, and they call it e-leather, or, or you know, it, it, it's basically glued together bits of leather dust to make a, a, a material substitute. But the problem with that is there's a lot of energy that goes into it. There's a lot of chemicals that go into it. And we think there's a better way to retain the value of the leather as is. Um, and, yeah, the, the, the rugs are definitely a testament to it. We had a huge birthday celebration here over the weekend and had about 30 people line dancing across one of our leather rugs. So we, we've definitely done several years' worth of product <laughs> testing now. Um, and uh, if it can survive uh, 30 people line dancing on it, then, then definitely it's um, it's going to have a lot of longevity in your home. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. <laughs> well, mm. that's great. You didn't by chance take a video of that, did you? There, I think uh, there are some short some short videos uh, on on Instagram this morning. I'll have to I'll have to try and send one to you afterwards. It is, <laughs> yeah, it we'll is, put it in our it is quite funny. For this episode, I think it's all it's also quite funny to see a bunch of English people um, line dance because it's not it's not a second nature over here. <laughs> That's so great. Oh, so let me go back to this uh, place of I I do recall uh, part of your initial passion with the fire hoses is helping to reclaim some of these things that people discard, like the fire hoses. Cressy has, you know, sometimes in social enterprise when we find a gap, people always say to me, well, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do this? But as you, I'm sure, can expertly discuss, it's not just getting, for example, the leather or the fire hoses. It's figuring out a way to store them and how do you process it and what do you do with the extra? I mean, there's all of these things that go into it. Do you ever foresee a business like yours um, becoming somewhat of a supplier because you do collect so much and there might not be some that fit within your products? Like what happens to the stuff in the middle? <laughs> yeah, I think I think the, the, the really interesting thing 
for us is that effectively we're designers. So, you know, Elvis and I are product designers, but it doesn't stop with the, pro- the product. It's, it, we, we are very carefully curating and designing the whole way that the business runs. So we're always trying to maximize the utility of all the materials. If, it work, if it's better to work in partnership with someone, if that means we can reclaim more materials, then that's what we'll do. If there's a, if there's a way for us to work with apprentice, uh, apprentices or if there's a way for us to, uh, you know, one of the projects we do in the UK, we, we um, run a, a workshop within a, a prison here and, and that's where we make all of our packaging items. And the reason we do that is because um, prisoners are 60% less likely to reoffend if they're involved in paid work and training while in prison. You know, it's an amazing thing to do. So it's, you can never stop with just the product. We want to have an exemplary business in every possible way. We want to, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I guess, I want to ride into every every meeting I go to on a very high horse and say, come on, guys, pull up your socks. There's a better way to do this. And we are on that journey, and we're going to keep getting better. But come on, you know, get on a horse and join us. Let's do something. And if we're not carefully designing every aspect of, w- of what we do, then we're failing. And if we're not making sure that the materials that we collect have the best possible second life, then we're failing. And if the best possible second life will come by us giving the material to someone else, we will give that material away. You know, I, I, often, I, I often think of a time, you know, I'm, I'm imagining in the future, you know, a way that, that actually we can we can open up our process significantly by opening our doors even wider and letting more and more people in. We, 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 genu- we genuinely want to create a more collaborative, health, helpful movement that's about rescuing all the resources in the world, not just those that Elvis and I can take. Yeah. I'm writing down so many notes and trying to figure out what are my top questions for you because I have about 100 and we don't have that much time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just really speaking to my heart of, of systemic change, not just for resources but people. You're really uh, yeah. speaking to my heart. I, I'm i going to change directions a little bit because of what you just said. Um, a burning question in my heart is, how do we all stay motivated when you're you're working to raise the bar so high and be consistent about raising the bar? Here's what I hear a lot of people say, just to set this up a little bit. Okay, Rami, you know, that's fine that you want to set the bar up there, but that's not sustainable to keep it there. We don't have that kind of environment. I just hear a desire to be there but almost this uncertainty of, uh, on how to keep the energy up and the strength up uh, to do mm. it that way when their economies are, don't have that traditional support uh, yeah. to do it differently. And um, this is probably the number one question or comment that we have, uh, that we receive, I'd say, Cressy, especially in the last eight months, they yeah. say, gosh, Rami, I really want to do it that way. It's the desire of my heart. I don't know how to do that sustainably or get the other team yeah. to buy onto that. Would you be able to comment a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, this is a phenomenal question. And there's, there's, a, I guess there's several answers to it. You know, I, I'm 
pretty heavily into the um, climate change movement, and I, and I've got a lot of colleagues there that are you know suffering from you know what they're calling pre-traumatic stress disorder. You know, we've got scientists that have known for 20 years that we were headed the wrong way, and they know it. They know it. And their colleagues know it, and they 99.9% of them absolutely know it, and they're telling us to do something different, and people aren't changing. And and actually, a lot of people in that field are suffer, suffering emotionally from this, you know, because they have been raising the bar, and people aren't awakening to the the reality that they're presenting, and that is really that is really tough when you're engaged in in environmental work and in social enterprise because you read the newspaper and you see that bad stuff is happening and you you, you know it's 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 really difficult so i'm i am not um i'm not uh one of these people who is totally unaware of reality and lives in a bubble where everything is perfect and happy and nice all the time i get that the realities are fairly stark and and actually, you know, in the in the last eight months, a lot has happened. You know, we've had uh, you know political issues in the UK, and they're happening across Europe and happening in the US. And I remember going to one meeting at Oxford University, um, when somebody said, you know, Cressy, how are you going to react to this new reality, and how do you feel about it, and are you just going to sort of, uh, you know, throw up your hands and I said, you know, goodness, goodness, no. You know, up up until, uh, yeah, about eight months ago, I would never have called myself even a feminist. And, well, heck, 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 I'm a feminist now <laughs> if I wasn't one before. And it's even more important to be passionate now. It's even more important to stick with your guns now and to be principled. It's more important now to tell it like it is and say, you know what, uh, there are good industries and there are bad industries. There are exploitative industries and there are non-exploitative industries. And there are companies that are treating their workers unfairly and there are companies that treat their workers brilliantly. One of the big things that keep me going is that we've had, um, we became one of the founding UK B Corps, uh, uh, yeah, just basically a year ago. No, a year and a half ago. Yeah, That's, I think, I when it really started yeah. to take off in the UK. And and the, commu- the that community of companies in the UK is growing and growing and growing and growing. I think we started with 30 of us, and there's hundreds now. And mm. it's like the coolest thing you can be as a company. And people want to work for B Corps, and the B Corps want to trade together and work together. And I think, you know, there is a band of merry men here, and we, we are all going to push the boundary just a little bit further. And we, we really... We want to prove that this is this is where the future is. And what I like about it is that it's using the language of of business that is familiar to everyone. You can't, you know, you can't pretend that we don't exist. I, I went to I went to one meeting where, you know, someone someone sort of intimated the CEO of a very famous traditional luxury company intimated that, you know, the the that I don't exist in the real world, that my company doesn't exist in the real world. And, and I, you know, I just said, well, 10 years worth of profits, 10 years worth of turning fire hoses into handbags, and I don't exist in the real world. Right. Like, who's, 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 you know, we all exist in the real world. As far as I know, no one from that meeting was from Mars or Venus or the sun. <laughs> and, 
you know, I have a balance sheet and a profit and loss sheet and a trading history with Her Majesty's Customs Service to to prove it. So I I, I think we have to become very clear now about about seeking goodness and delivering on goodness and very, very clear about what marketing means. For me, marketing is the truth of what we do. That's all it will ever be. There will never be an Elvis and Cressy campaign that, that is divorced from what we do. We have to be very now, – now more than ever, we have to be very clear about what our objectives are, and we have to stay with that mission, and we just have to keep pushing and, uh, and, and, and almost double down on the, on the good aspects of what we do. Yeah, we have a saying here that we decided to start to put on our some of our materials last year, l- late last year, and that is speak the truth in love, you know, and always demonstrate the impact of that and declare life, speak life over people, encourage people and things because the truth is good and it's okay to proclaim <laughs> your truth. And I am in, in such agreement that, now more than ever, we got to be the opposite of fake it till you make it. It doesn't hold mm. water anymore, and there's a there's a beautiful courage and authenticity with those of us that are sort of in the field or on the street or whatever you might say. There's such rich learning about collaboration and people coming together of different religions, cultures, locations, ages, yeah. backgrounds. There's such rich learning when we mix our tribes, if you will, <laughs> you know, and mm. not in a forced way, in a way where people are courageously taking a step of discovery. And uh, reporting that truth out is magnificent, just magnificent. It's part of, obviously, why we do this podcast. <laughs> We're trying to Absolutely. help elevate those who are doing this magnificent stuff on the street. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really incredible. Well, I think I'm glad you brought up that that conversation. I know so many find themselves in that conversation. I call those that conversation of dismissal or denial. Um, you're yeah. too small. Uh, you are uh, some sort of unicorn that's going to go away because basically you're a threat to my traditional way of living. You know, all yeah. of those things fill in the blank. Oh, that won't work long term. I mean, if we stacked up the millions, it's way beyond thousands times we've heard that said to us or another. Th- oh my goodness, it's almost ridiculous. That's actually becoming more of a norm of people saying things like that, and then the shock and awe of the reality when they really are, they really are doing well and making change, mm-hmm. and making huge impact, and mostly with people. You know, I'm watching most of the most of the impact happen in people's hearts, no matter what the product, what what the you know valued impact. Could you speak to that a little bit about how you watch? Is there any effect that you see with people that come alongside? Alongside what? Alongside with you? Actually, I had a really interesting chat this morning with someone uh, from the British Dental Association and they were talking about how how actually how difficult it is for dentists to stay innovative and and to because it's a very stressful job and and to stay involved in their like the the most purest form about why they decided to become a dentist 
And sort of the conversation came to a head when we were talking about, well, how do you define success? And for some people, it's the size of their dental practice. <coughs> Excuse me. And for, and I said, well, actually, maybe if you if you said, well, what if we redefine success for dentistry as what is the what is the oral health of my community? It, then it completely changes how you approach your practice. It completely changes how how you define what you're doing and what you do on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. And and that's the that's the big thing because a lot of the people who are a lot of people who are unhappy often it's because they're the benchmarks they've set for themselves don't actually fit with anything that brings them joy or happiness in life or in their profession. Mm. So they, so, and, and people don't think they're allowed to redraw that boundary. And I, I, I think that more, more than ever is what people have to start to do. Say, well, really, why do I have to accept that, 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 that this is the norm for my industry or that this is the norm for my, for my life you know there's a doctor that I know really well in the UK he's a, a GP and and you know he's got the most unconventional GP practice that you can imagine it's got a hundred or so businesses operating out of it you know nutritionists gardeners community workers and he, he just said look you know a GP practice should be at the core of a community it should be at the center of things and the only way to make it at the center of the things is to have a piano teacher teaching piano lessons in 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 the waiting room and if mm. and, and if that improves my the community spirit here and community health then then how can you argue that what i'm doing is bad and he's had the most hardened cynical journalists visit him and they all turn away converts because they leave going well no it's not what you're used to from a gp practice but it's a lot more interesting and it make, makes you want to go back and it makes you want to be involved and it, and it brings you closer to your community and probably closer to some emotional um, mental health. So we just have to think of boundaries differently and definitions differently. I don't accept, I don't accept anyone's definition for me of what an entrepreneur should be or of what a good business is or what a successful business is you know when people think it's about mo- money, I, I just think that's such a such a um, that's a one single lens to view the world with, and it's a fairly limited one. Yeah, because then it makes you isolated and focused on self. You know, I mm. love that. Wow, I love that story. And then you know you layer in. I mean, it's a little bit hard to measure all the impact because you could go on and on. But there's just some obvious ones that you don't have to fill in. I mean, you can't measure joy. <laughs> Somebody listening to the piano yeah. in there, that brings me joy if I hear a joyous noise, you know. I don't know how you measure some of those things. And I think that brings me to another point. I think we almost have to <coughs> release ourselves from measuring everything. There's, yeah. there's, I. That's one of the songs I'm singing, even though we're a reporting firm and we have to measure some things. I feel like part B of almost every conversation I'm having lately is, well, let's release ourselves from measuring everything because it's not possible. You know, it's sort of arrogant, you know. Yeah. And and also, you can, there's, you know, I've, we've got a couple of quantifiable measures here. And, and yeah, we, we, we have those. And they are great. They're great for us to keep us on some kind of a track. But, but actually, the, the the things that are the most powerful uh, for, for us are always the stories, always the anecdotes, always the 
you know, the, the customers that call us, you know, after they've had a bag for seven years and just tell us how they're still enjoying the bag. And you think, gosh, that's incredible. Or people who, you know, we, we occasionally still get handwritten letters from, from people thanking us for, you know, some last minute personalization or detail that we did. You can't, you can't, stack up all the letters and say well this year we got this many and these ones were you know uh, really really made us feel good and these ones only sort of made us feel good but you, you, you yeah you, you you can't you absolutely can't measure everything sometimes you do have to go on instinct and actually if you go you know I had this conversation recently in Exeter with a group of MBA students there and they said you know how do you how do you make some of these decisions you know, when, like when you decided to give half the profits away, how did you make that decision? And, and I said, well, you know, you learn some pretty valuable skills in kindergarten. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to pretend that, that, you, that, that sharing isn't kind of the best way to go. It's really bizarre. You know, we, we're all taught as children to share. And then, and, then, and then suddenly we're taught to be selfish. And actually sharing is the best possible thing that you can do in terms of your own well-being and others' well-being and people's sense of collaboration and community and, you know, when has sharing ever made anyone feel bad? Right. And, yet, and yet that's basically business, like traditional business is specifically structured to be competitive and selfish and and you know, judge people and rank people and pay them according to this, that, or the other restriction. And it's just so weird. And our approach to immigration, you know, in, in Europe, we're having a lot of debates about immigration. And I, I find that weird because basically everywhere on, the, on earth, the whole story of human civilization is a story of migration. Right. And the, the most beautiful, powerful, amazing things happen when you get as you were saying earlier, you get different people coming together to create new and unique experiences. Like when, like this morning, when you get me talking to dentists and we realize we've got all sorts of things in common. Um, and that's where innovation comes from talking to people from different industries and different cultures and different backgrounds. And, and yet, you know, so the idea to me of, of trying to now say, no, we don't want any more of this, this precious thing of new ideas coming in and going out. We don't want any more of it. I find that very bizarre. And, unfam and 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 unlike kindergarten in every possible way, and if it wouldn't fit in a kindergarten class, I I don't want it in my life, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's a good, simple way to quanti quantify and use a filter. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't hit. And also, you can rest there too, right? I remember taking a nap on my little towel. <laughs> kindergarten, yeah. you take a nap, lay down, rest for a minute, you know, we can get working yeah. hard. That's so great. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like sharing and don't hit someone and there's better ways to resolve your issues and, you know, all those and basic maths, like just basic maths rather than all of these absolutely impossible equations we've invented for society that allow financial systems to run amok. If we actually just went back to basic two plus two does equal four and can't be split up in a thousand different ways to equal 17, we, you know, it would, it would be better for all of us. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, Cressy, do you mind, uh, just to catch us up from last time, 
have you noticed any more of of this since we're on numbers measuring them or not? You had already made a huge change in your community rescuing the fire hoses, and since that was your first um, endeavor, if you will, your endeavor rescue endeavor, uh, a year and a half sometimes makes a difference. You had had some mm. extraordinary numbers at the time, and community had had relief there. And um, have you noticed anything more since then that's a revelation in any way of what you do differently or what you keep doing? I think we we have become in a certain way uh we we have two things that we're doing simultaneously so in one respect we're becoming more focused so we know we we've really learned to accept that there are certain things we're specifically good at and we need to stay focused on those so the the rescue of materials transformation into very high quality goods that is what that's our real sweet spot. So while there, there are a lot of other things that we can do, that seems to be where we can have the biggest impact. So we've really zoned in and focused on that. And that has, that's meant us actually hiring, hiring some more people to help us in those, in those areas and to help liberate me from doing a lot of things that, that I'm not necessarily the best. I'm not the best at, at developing online um you know online communication tools and and things like that so instead of trying to to spread ourselves thinner what we're trying to do is become much much more focused at what we do and in doing that we're able to take on more materials so just our expansion into into leather reclamation has kind of increased by a factor of 10 uh since we last spoke and and actually, we're thinking of ways about how we could attack really the, the whole 800,000 ton a year global problem, and and you know which would be which would make me a, a company 80,000 times larger than than I am uh, than I was a year and a half ago. Wow. So 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 we have to work out a way to either grow to that size or collaborate to achieve that same objective. And I have a feeling it's going to be the latter, but. It's it's interesting that through focusing more on what we're best at, it's actually allowing us to bring in more people, engage with more people, engage with more materials, and and spread our mission much much wider. Love it. There's such a truth there. Love, love, love that. And then part of that too is uh, how do you decide what things you engage in for the community for. Uh, I, I mean, there's so many things, I don't know about you, but we're asked to do so much about, hey, will you sit on this committee for this particular community thing or association or or even all the media. You know, right now I'm <laughs> I'm the media in your world with this podcast, but there's so many things of trying to figure out what speaking opportunities do you take, what, mm. what type of engagement, how do you – determine and draw boundaries there too and I find a lot of that's instinct but sometimes you have to set a boundary and I've found that to be very difficult um what are you how do you address that well we I mean I'll I'll give you one key example I we get an email probably five times a week from a student somewhere in the world that's doing um a paper research on social enterprise ethical fashion something related to our business model and and I can't I can't spend four hours a week 
answering each one of those those sets of questions. So the the the, the what we did there was actually I answered I made a, a a worksheet and I answered all the regular questions that I get asked, and now I just send that same you know it's a four or five page uh, re very well thought out, thought through list of answers, and it tends to help everyone out. So instead of denying those requests, we've just found a way to deliver the information to people w when they need it, but without maybe having the, the same personal nuance every time. But in general, I used to say yes to everything. Now I can't. And that that is very frustrating, but it's just the reality it's just the reality of us sticking to our core mission. And there are still some times when I really hesitate back and forth, should I do this, should I not do this? And I always just uh have a little chat with Elvis and he'll he'll say, Is how how is this helping with the hose? How is this helping with the leather? And if I can't make a case for it instantly, then it's gotta be something that we forego. And it's 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 tough to say no to things, especially when everything about your business and everything about your self and your own personality is like I just want to be generous. I want to be everywhere. I want to be doing everything. Um, but but that means that nothing nothing happens. So yeah, I, we've just learned to say if it's not progressing the core mission, we can't do it. Yeah. Um, if there's a way for us to game our way around it, then we'll do that. I mean, I, we are lucky that there's now sort of a backlog of YouTube videos and interviews and loads of other resources that we can send and share with students um, and potential collaborators. But yeah, in general, it's it's tough to say no to things, but you have to learn to. You have to you have to learn to. Otherwise, you just it, life becomes impossible, and your core mission then gets uh, neglected. Well, thanks for speaking into that. Um, I'm the worst offender of it. That's why some of my partners, and my, my one of my sisters is one of my partners, thank God, because I'll say yes to everything. And she's like, oh, wait, oh, hold on, <laughs> or I'll give away things. I, I'm just, uh, I really have to practice every day, every hour of ha staying on my own boundaries so that we can um, continue to deliver <laughs> what we're doing. So uh, thank you for, for uh speaking expertise into that. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share uh, with the listening audience around the globe about your work or anything that's on your heart? Yeah, sure. I think the most interesting, we are in very, very, very interesting times. And, and I guess the one thing I really want to leave with people is that, is that the best thing that you can do with your time is where you can have the most where you is where you can do the most good that should be your overriding overarching thought and if you're if if you're ever frustrated if you ever find things are too difficult you've got to realize it is there are whole heaps and loads of compromises associated with that but you do have to focus on where you can do the most good particularly now when when we need more good to be done so that it shines through against against a um a backdrop of of not a lot of great yeah oh what a good word thank you thank you thank you Cressy, so much for speaking life over everything this morning and giving us a peek on the inside 
um, let's just re-go over your social media and the places they can reach you and look at your products. Sure. Um, we're, our website is elvisandcressy.com, so Elvis like the singer, A-N-D-K-R-E-S-S-E.com, and it's the same for Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Thank you, Cressy. I appreciate Tell Elvis we said hi, and we look forward to more conversations and keeping this little mini audio documentary going. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Whew, that was chocked full of goodies for everyone. Big thanks to Cressy for spending a good hour with me out of her day so that she could share with all of you. Please check out their site and support them however you can. Well, it's time to close out with another great song provided by our friends at Assemble Sound in Detroit. Here is Astray and his song, Shallow Waters. Talk to you next time.
nobody, nobody. You don't need no help from nobody, nobody. You don't need no help from nobody, nobody. Don't get me wrong, girl, you look good. If I had the chance with you, I probably would. But you're way too caught up in Hollywood and all the cosmetics. My type of girl thinks much broader. I'm sick of swimming in shallow waters. I'd rather go deep and find me someone authentic. 